This is the Elk Hunt Podcast, home to everything elk hunting. I'm your host, Cody Rich. From fellow DIYers to elk hunting legends, we have elk hunting stories, tips, tactics, and more to get you pumped for elk season. Join us every week for great elk hunting content. All right, quick shout out to our show sponsor, Made With Meat, meat processing equipment. If you like to process your own game, you need to check out Meat. Uh, It's madewithmeat.com. They make awesome game processing equipment, and I've been using them for years. I love all their stuff. One of the best things I ever did was invest in good meat processing equipment. Uh, I've grinded a lot of elk over the years with way too small of grinders. That took me way too long. So now that I've upgraded to the real stuff, this industrial-grade meat processing equipment, uh, it takes no time. I can knock out an elk really quick. And speaking of that, this month we are giving away a meat dual grind, one horsepower grinder. This thing is a beast. It can shoot through an entire elk in no time flat. And I mean, anyone who's ground up elk knows, man, it's really, it's really nice to have a big meat grinder. We are giving one away this month for the January month giveaway. We are giving away a one horsepower dual grind. Basically, you don't even have to grind twice, all, all in one grind, which is awesome. So we're giving that away now. Last year we did some meat or we did some giveaways. This year we have a ton more giveaways planned. If you signed up for the course last year, you can re-sign up this year. But we added something, a cool new feature this year. If you sign up in 2024 and you sign up for the annual subscription, you'll be entered into every single giveaway we do this year. So if you signed up last year, sign up again. I know it's crazy. You can just upgrade your account to an annual subscription, and that's going to give you access to all the new stuff we put out this year. But also, it's going to give you access to all the giveaways that we do. So head over to the website, check it out, uh, sign up for the course, take the course. It's it's a great course. Uh, leave a testimonial, do all those things, and you'll be entered into the giveaway for January. Go take the course, get entered, win a meat grinder. Pretty good deal. All right, on to the episode. All right, dude. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. We're going to welcome to Bopty Wednesday, Elk Hunt, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, dude, you killed the bomber bowl this year. You had a good year. You have like pretty solid year all around. Yeah, no, it was, it was a good year, man. It, uh, it was really nice because we had our second kid in April of this year. And when we had our first son two years ago, it was a pretty rough season. Um, and I kind of went into this season, like prepared for that of like, I'm not going to be able to hunt as much as I typically do, uh, second baby at home and so on and so forth. So, uh, to get in as many days as I did and then be as successful as I did as far as filling the freezer and uh with some good animals it it was good it was a, a sigh of relief at the end of the season it was like yes I I was still able to do it with uh, another kid dude I think we talked about this a lot. Uh, one of the times you were on the podcast we were talking about like kids and like you know there's everyone thinks like the first you know year or whatever the first few months is going to be the worst but it's actually I think I don't know at least for us it's like definitely way harder when they're like a year and a half or two years old, you know, like when they're like actually mobile, <laughs> you getting in stuff. Like a lot of people think that that newborn is going to be the hardest, but realistically there's not a ton we can do anyway. So uh, I think you and I talked about this before, but I'm glad you, yeah, glad you got out. Uh, I mean, either way it's, it's kind of, it's chaos with kids. Like you just got to find a way to get out. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And make the most of the time when you are out, you know, I, no longer am I going on like extended weekend scouting trips because if i've got x number of days and really this is most of it's self-imposed right um i just feel guilty being gone quite as much and so if i in my mind have like here's my like bank of time 
I'm not going to scout and I'm hopefully just going to like get after it hard during hunting season. And that's where hunting the same areas like repeat really, really help. Cause like when you go somewhere brand new, it's like scouting and spending that time preseason is really helpful to at least know what that view is going to look like when you climb the mountain. Um, but like, luckily the last few years I've been hunting very similar country. So I can show up in the dark, hike in the dark in the morning on opening day for me. Right. And then have an idea of, okay, here's what the elk herds have done the last couple of years in here. Here's what I'm going to be able to see. Here's what I'm not going to be able to see from, from this vantage point and so on and so forth. So that definitely is, uh, is pretty key. Well, it's interesting you say that. And, and you and I kind of talked about like this, um, you know, having to go somewhere like you, you, you're hunting far away from home. Like in theory, it seems, it seems like that's going to be way harder, but it actually isn't to me. It's like, it's harder to get away when we're close. We, we've done an entire podcast talking about that, but it's, I had the same thing where it was like, I really thought about switching units. I was like, uh, I might, I might go somewhere new. And because this year I had so many tags, it was like, no, I'm just going to do the same thing in Montana. And a big piece of that is like, you know, I can go places I know I don't have to, I don't have the time to scout this year, you know? And like, it's kind of one of those excuses, just self-imposed things, but it very much is like, it's way easier when you kind of hunt the areas you've been hunting for years and years. And I love to go new places. I love to explore a new country, but, uh, you know, I had other tags. It was like, yeah, I'm going to be exploring a bunch of new country, but you know, for at least one of these, I need like that, that hunt. I know, know where I'm going, know what it's going to be like, and just feel like you're shortening your learning curve. Cause you know, some of these places, like, you know, I've been hunting Eastern Montana. It's crazy to think, I feel like it just started, but at the end of the day, I think it's four years now. So it's like, you learn and learn and learn. It's like, man, it takes years to kind of learn that open country stuff. And it, I, I feel like I bounced my head off a wall for the first like two years. So, you know, having that to fall back on when you like show up, you don't have a ton of days. I, it helps. I know it's cool to go to new places, but it definitely helps. Yeah, no, I, I feel the exact same way. And to like, if you see a bull or if you hear a bugle, you at least have an idea of like, I bet I know where that bull is. Like there's a water hole down there that I've yeah. caught him on in the morning to last two years maybe I've screwed up a dozen times sneaking in and trying to get a bull killed on that. But like you can at least hear a bull or something and be like, I know what it's like in that direction. I've, I've hiked through that. I've been through that country. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a cool, cool head start when it works out. You know, the interesting thing that I found this year, you know, very much, I would say elk behavior was very, very different. Some of that was like, it's a two, two part. Like at first I was like, man, must be, you know, the, it, everything's so green this year. There was so much moisture this year that like, it was definitely different hab habits. Like did the, you know, they were in different areas, but a lot of it was, you know, the place that I ended up hunting this year and last year, I didn't find until late in the season last year. It was one of those deals where I was like kind of looking for new ground and I found, you know, these elk. And that was later in September. And so this year I get there and I'm like, man, nothing's like what it was, nothing, blah, blah, blah. And then as the season progressed, it was like, I watched these out kind of move and I was like, oh yeah, you know, this is kind of where they end up in later September. So just like keeping that in mind for me was kind of, I mean, it was big, but I definitely feel like everything was a little bit different this year just because, you know, the, the such high moisture, such high feed everywhere. Yeah. And not only that, but coming off such a drought year, I remember right. the year prior. So like two seasons ago, there was a lot of like water holes and, and whatever that consistently had water that were just bone dry, like not even remotely. There wasn't a, an ounce of water 
in any of them. So to come off of such a drought year and then have such a wet spring and, and a wet summer yesterday or yesterday, uh, last year, last season, it was, it was very different. And I, I experienced the same thing. Like the elk didn't seem to be doing what they typically did. Like they weren't in the same areas and they're super nomadic. Like one day they would be in an area that I could hunt the next day. They'd be, you know, five miles away, deep in a private, like the same bowl. Um, and so they're, they're just, and they're always fairly nomadic out there. Like they don't have, you know, this is where they bed and this is where they feed until they're bumped. Like, it seems to me like the area that I hunt them, like they're there for a couple of days and then they'll move a few miles or they'll move five miles or 10 miles and just kind of like bounce around to different spots. And a lot of that probably is due to pressure, right? They're getting ping ponged around into different areas, but, uh, luckily for me, cause I struggled quite a bit this year, um, last season, and this was more of a fluke than anything, but last season I ended up shooting my bull. So two seasons ago, I shot my bull on the very first morning of being there. Um, and then I was able to help my dad and uncle throughout the rest of the week hunt and so on and so forth. This season, I shot my bull on the very last morning of being there. And I, I struggled, you know, all throughout the week. Uh, I had found bulls, had found elk, but uh, there was like a three-day period where, you know, I was looking for elk to hunt instead of hunting elk. So it, uh, it was much different this year. And then luckily the last two days that I was, uh, scheduled to be on that hunt, uh, two herds actually moved in from a neighboring property onto some public where I was hunting and, uh, I knew they liked to bed in there. So they would kind of bed in the public. It was pretty good bedding ground. And then they would hop the fence and go feed on private and come back. So I was kind of playing that border game. Um, but the last two days, thankfully a couple herds finally moved in. So it was really nice that there was two separate herds too, because until that happened, it seemed like I was hearing a few bugles in the morning and throughout the night, but not really anything too crazy. And then those two herds were like kind of competing for the same bedroom. Um, so even all throughout the day, like those two herd bulls were just screaming at each other. So I went from a few bugles in the morning and at night to uh, all day long, constant bugles between two herd bulls that were uh, constantly testing each other. So that obviously helped quite a bit. Yeah, I, I, we'll dive into kind of the story of what happened or whatever, but I'd love to kind of hear your perspective. You know, now you've got a, a couple of years under your belt hunting these like open country, playing the border game. Uh, you know, one of the biggest difficulties you just mentioned, these bulls will travel five miles. You know, you can't even hunt them sometimes. And man, there's like, I've been in the situation where you're like, oh, I uh, really want to kill this bull. But like, you know, he for days will just stay on private. And then you're like, it just feels like you're wasting time. And it's such a gamble, you know, that hustle game is such a gamble because they may never even, you know, give you an opportunity. It's hard enough to kill a bull when you can, at least you get to hunt him every single day, you know, but if you don't even get a, a bull, mm -hmm. but once a week, it's like, man, you could easily just like never have a chance. Walk me through kind of like your journey with that and like how, you know, how it was this year, you know, and kind of like, what's your two cents on the whole matter? Um, you know, playing the hustle game, like hunting these nomadic bulls. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's different than out West kind of run and gun where you're just searching for a bugle and you hear a bugle and then you go hunt that bugle, right? Where it's like any direction you go in is public land. You just have to get after it and go do it. A lot of the the public over there is pretty checkerboardy. Now there are some really big swaths of public and I do hunt those as well. Um, the reason this year that I kept hunting this one particular area, A, I'm really familiar with it. So when they happen to be there, I really like my odds because I can find them bedded midday and actually make like a midday stock 
and it's it's worked out a couple times so it's really nice to be able to hunt elk like mill deer in that sense where it's like i see that bull bedded and if the wind is good like i can sneak up on him in his bed so i like the ability to do that i really like this area to be completely honest the main reason i kept hunting this particular smaller swath of public instead of going to you know any direction i look as public is i saw probably the biggest bull that i've ever seen um that i can remember so that was on like day three of the hunt and he he stayed on private but he was a couple hundred yards from that public and so he i mean it was just one of those bulls that when you look at you're like i don't I can go my whole life for at least years and years without having the ability to hunt an elk of this caliber again. Um, and so I kept focusing on that area because I knew there was a good chance he was going to remain on private, but I didn't really have anything going for me on like the bigger chunks of public either. So I was like, man, I could go back there and grind it out and find an elk to hunt and probably, you know, try to be successful that way. But when am I going to be able to see and hunt a bull of this caliber again? So I kept going back to the, I would say, higher success, but lower odds of them being where I can hunt them. So to your point, you know, I'd get up on a glassing point and there's a lot of this that you can't see. Um, it's not like it's a, a tiny little section, but you get up on a glassing point and you can see fairly, fairly well. And you can hear, as long as it's not super windy, you can hear kind of where these bulls are in the in the morning. So there was a couple mornings in a row I'd get up there and I'd glass and I'd listen and I would hear them or I'd see them and be like, yep, they're on private. And as soon as they started uh, heading for bedding, like they're heading deep, deeper into private. So like my morning's hunts were essentially done by, you know, 45 minutes after first light some mornings, which is super frustrating. Um, but again, I kept going back. Cause it's just like, man, if, if I can get on that bowl, it, it will be worth it. So uh, kept repeating it, going back to that same kind of uh, chunk of land there. And then it was never that bull. I never got to hunt that bull on public. Um, there was one point that the morning after I saw him, I was on, again, playing the, the boundary game and I was in public and he was like 80 yards or so into private. And he bugled a few times and uh, basically set up in a, a spot where I thought they might cross and come bed if they did cross and never came but uh yeah it's just it's a different game for sure because you're not constantly in elk all day long whereas if you're in like bigger swaths of public even if you don't find them you can just keep moving until you do right right dude and it's funny i i told someone this this year a good friend actually a mutual friend of ours and uh she was hunting a big bull and she's texting me she's like oh my gosh i you know i'm so bored blah 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 and i was like yeah hunting big bulls is super boring <laughs> like like you're either gonna get a chance or not and it's gonna be like 20 minutes after daylight, you're like, cool. I get basically nothing to do the rest of the day or like go look for different elk. But like, you know, you kind of want to be there. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Like, it's just so boring to like get on these big bulls and days, days, days go by. And you're like, gosh, man, like, I feel like I should probably go like try something else. But, uh, you know, you know, it is, you see that giant and you're just like laser focused. You're like, I, I got to be around <laughs> just looking at him. So. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, too because like growing up elk hunting i struggled for so many years dude like i for so many years in a row i was like this is impossible i don't know how how guys do this consistently and then like you get some success and then some more and some more and like i still am not i've shot some really nice bulls i've been really fortunate but uh i wouldn't consider myself like a big bull hunter like 
when I go deer hunting, I'm looking for a certain age class caliber of deer. When I go elk hunting, like it's more about the experience. And like, again, I struggled for so many years, archery hunting elk that I have a hard time being like, unless that bull is, you know, six <laughs> years old and 320 inches, I'm not interested. Like, it's just, I'm not like that. Um, so it, it is interesting to like, if it's a raghorn, I'm going to be super stoked and shoot it to like seeing at one particular big bull and being like, holy cow, it's like, that's the bull I want. And I never had like full on tunnel vision. Like it wasn't like it was that bull or bust, but I was like, if I have any kind of an opportunity at that particular elk, like it's going to be in this one chunk of a public that I've access to. So, um, yeah, it was never like full on blinders to anything else. And I ended up, you know, shooting a different bull that is still my best bull to date. Um, you know, an absolute great bull, but, uh, hopefully that other one sticks around and is around <laughs> next year. So, so like at a go, you basically find this big bull day three, you're, you're like, I'm sticking it out. You're not seeing anything else. Like it's nothing using it. And then like, not, you said like the last day of season, two herds came in into that kind of group, but it must've been out of the same, like, I wouldn't say herd, but like group of elk, they were kind of using the area. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I was there, um, I think I had six days to hunt this year. So it was early, very early October at this point, which I kind of like over in that country being a little bit later. It seems like it is just a little bit better for the rut, but, um, so we were leaving on, on a Saturday and Friday, Friday morning is, is when I, was up there and these two herds kind of came in and finally started using the bedding area and, and the, the ground that I could hunt. So, um, I thinking back on it, I got it on them a little bit that morning, but I also didn't want to pressure them. It just wasn't right. The wind was a little swirly. So I kind of backed out, uh, that evening though. So Friday evening, um, I got super close to them and the wind over in that country, like if it's not howling, if it's not a, like a pretty stiff wind, it's super frustrating um it just switches constantly so i got i remember i got like it was like 50 or 60 yards from them um but there was like a rise in between us and i could hear the bulls going nuts and uh some cows mewing i knew i was super close and i was in a really good spot like close enough for a shot and basically was just kind of creeping around a couple trees to get visual and like the wind switched it didn't switch enough that they 100 percent blew out but i think a couple cows might've caught me or something. And it was one of those where they don't like stampede out of there, but they all quickly move directions like where they're 50 yards and then 150 and then 500. And they were still bugling, still talking. So I knew it wasn't like I completely blew them out of the country, but it was also, okay. I, you know, I kind of got away with one there. Um, the next morning. So, so the last morning of the hunt, um, I got up to what I typically do is I'll get up high and listen for like I think that morning I was there like an hour before uh sun up or before shooting light uh just to get a good idea of you know where are they can I hear them from up here and then put myself in a position like stalk them in the dark and put myself in a position to where when it's legal shooting light I'm within the game instead of like oh I got to cover half a mile to get yeah. put myself in in the right situation so that's worked out super well for me the year prior. That's how I killed a bull like five minutes after legal light. It's just stalking him, stalking his bugle in the dark. So I did the same thing and uh, it was so windy that morning, which was, a, it turned out to be a really good thing. But at first I was frustrated because I was like, man, I'm not gonna be able to hear him at all unless I'm super close. So I sat up there for like 15 minutes and uh, it was probably like 
20 to 30 mile an hour, like steady wind. And, uh, so I just, I grabbed my bow, grabbed my pack and I started slowly just making my way toward where they had went the night before. Cause I figured that's the way they were going to go out and feed. And then if they came back that day, they'd probably kind of use a similar path to get back into, into the public. So, uh, made my way in the dark, I'd go, you know, three, 400 yards and stop and just listen for a little bit. Finally, I could hear some distant bugles in that same direction. And, uh, they were, I could tell they were getting closer. They were heading back. But again, it's one of those, I've had, I've had those elk bed 50 yards on a private, like, and they'll bed there all day long. So there's no guarantees they were going to make it, but I essentially put myself in a situation in a spot where it's pretty open as you know, over there. And, uh, so like I was using more terrain features than trees for cover. And so what I really like to do is there's like a knife ridge in front of me and then a pretty big opening, probably like a hundred to 150 yard opening and then another knife ridge. And they were behind that. So I hadn't seen them at this point, but I was behind the second knife ridge. And what I wanted to do was stay there. If they were going to come bed, then I could peek over, see which direction they were coming and then be able to back up and move left or right. Cause I'm hunting solo for the most part over there. Um, and I really, really don't like to call if I don't have to. So kind of just putting myself in a situation where I can back up, move left or right, and, and just get try and get in front of them and set up, get the wind right. Um, long story long there, they just hung out on the backside of that ridge for like an hour and a half. And they were bugling. At one point, I heard the two herd bulls fighting for a little while. And finally, it was like, okay, I got to make a move. They're, they're clearly not coming. And at this point, still, I wasn't sure if they were on private or if they had jumped the fence into public. Um, so I made it to, and it's always super nerve wracking, like crossing those 100, 150 yards open openings, like not a single tree, nothing. I'm walking in the wide open and there's elk all around, you know? So it's always like, do I do this? Do I not? And it's like, I'm just going to basically run across this opening and hope I can get there in time. Um, but anyways, got to, got to the other side, peeked over and I could see several cows and calves just kind of feeding throughout. And I still hadn't seen the bulls, but I did see them the day before. And there was, uh, I didn't look at them real good. Cause again, at that point it wasn't the, the giant bull I was quote looking for, but they're both really nice, mature herd bulls. One of them was probably about a 300 type bull. Then the other one I just knew was bigger. And uh, so I hadn't seen these bulls at this point, but a bunch of cows were kind of making their way into through the opening feeding. And uh, it's like, okay, they're clearly content where they're at. They were on public. They were like 80 to 100. And they were fairly spread out, but like 80 to like 100, 150 yards into public. So I made a, a loop around to get on the same side as them. And in the middle of doing so, I remember like, Again, I was crossing a wide open and I looked up and two cows were just like staring at me uh, wide open. Like they're 85 yards, just like they have me dead to rights, you know? And I remember thinking like, like it's up. There's no way that I'm going to get out of this one. Cause I like froze in the wide open. There's no trees, nothing around me. And I stood there and I did not move, like didn't flinch, you know, where you're trying like not even to, to blink. And, uh, man, I don't know how long it was, but it was like at least a couple minutes of them staring me down and they finally kept, they just started eating again. No so, way. Yeah. And so I, uh, it took me, I had like 10 more yards to, uh, to get before I was down in like a little ravine where they couldn't see me, where I could actually cover some ground. 
And it took me like 15 minutes to to make it those 10 final yards because one of them I remember went kind of behind the trees, so she was kind of uh, blocked, but the other one was just out there feeding. And anytime she'd pick up her head, I'd freeze. And then when she would go to feed again, I'd like slowly place my foot over. And that's one of those things that I've learned over the last couple of years. You can get away with so much more with elk than you can with like deer or just other, like people think, I think a lot of folks think that like you can't move at all if there's an elk in sight. And yeah, you shouldn't, but if you have to, it's like, if I don't get around and I don't sneak up where that bull is, I'm not killing him anyway. So like, I'd rather bust them out and and try to kill him than to be so complacent that you're not like, you're not putting yourself in a position to be successful. Right. Totally. And it's last day. So like we're, we're risking it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, totally. So anyways, I make it over there. Um, I get to a point where I was like under, well under a hundred yards and there was just a little rise in between where he was bugling and where I was. And I dropped my pack, knocked an arrow. Um, and I was like, okay, like I'm going to be super, super quiet, super slow, get up there and just wait for an opportunity. And I was again, just creeping super slow. And I looked up to my right and there was a fence line and on both sides of the fence, it was public, um, but there was a fence like within the public and all those, those elk had jumped on the side that I was on. And they were in there, but there was a couple calves that were having a hard time getting through the fence. And so again, I'm in the wide open, just creeping up, like watching every twig that I was stepping on. And I look to my right and here comes uh, three calves down the fence line. And the fence line (laughs) ultimately gets to like 15 yards of where I'm at. And I was just like, oh man, like this is not going to be good. Luckily they were calves. So I, I knew I had a little bit of leeway there. Um, young dumb elk and eventually they get really close and they actually went past me at like 15 yards and I, I was just kind of froze and I don't know if they caught my wind a little bit or what one of them knew something was up and they all turned and ran back down the fence slide like right toward where the herd was and they were mewing and the way that they were they were like full-on spooked and so it went from okay I'm just gonna sneak up here super quietly and stealthy and and just wait for an opportunity to like in my mind, something told me like, you have to go like right now. Like if you don't go right now, if you don't, if you're not up there when they blow up, you're not going to have an opportunity. So like I went from like sneaking so quiet to like, I ran to the top of the hill and uh, basically fully exposed myself. And uh, there was a tree in front of me. So I got on my knees and there was a cow that was, was looking at the calves and she was super alert right away. I ranged her it was like 61 yards or something like that. And as soon as I ranged her, the bull and I, I just, for some reason, I knew it was the same bull. I still couldn't see him because there's a bunch of trees, but the, the herd bull chuckled. And so I went from ranging the cow to hearing a chuckle, like a little bit closer into the left. So my eyes immediately went to where that chuckle was and you could see his rib cage. Like you could see him chuckling. So I knew it was him, but he was so covered up in trees. Like I had no idea which bull it was. I knew it was a bull. I saw like a flash of a, a main beam, saw him chuckling and uh, he was in, man, it was like, literally it was, it was meant to be there's, I got away with so much stuff that morning. It was, it was crazy looking back on it, but he was in the spot where if he was a foot forward or a foot farther back, like I wouldn't have had a shooting lane. There was probably 15 to 20 trees in between me and him and like big trees, like a lot of, like, they weren't 
you know, burnt like strip trees. There was a lot of, of tree to work with there. And there was this perfect uh, like basketball size, volleyball, beach volleyball, beach ball size, like open opening in all of the trees that was like right behind the shoulder. So I could see the shoulder crease. And then I like most of the opening was right behind his shoulder. And uh, I could tell that the elk were like a little squirrely from those calves. And I was like, if I don't shoot now, like I'm not going to have a shot. So it's like that cow's 61. Like he's, I, I was like 10 yards closer and I felt really good about it. So I'm like 50. So I drew. And as I drew, I remember thinking to myself, like I was looking at all of the trees and I was thinking to myself, like, is this a, a doable shot or am I going to hit a branch? And so when I anchored, like everything felt super good. And I was like, there, there was enough gap to where if I shot him for like low lung, I really felt confident that I wasn't going to hit any trees. And uh, so again, mind you, at this point, I had no idea which bull this was. And it was the last day, to be honest, I knew it was a bull. I didn't really care. Um, so anyways, I shot in, uh, I've been shooting those light and knocks the last couple of years, which are, I absolutely love them. Like there's no question where, where you hit. And uh, I watched that light and knock, like sail through all those trees, like not touch a single branch. And then just like, blow through him right behind the shoulder and bury like right behind him. So it was, you know, man, it was super chaotic. And still at this point, I had no idea what, what bully was. Um, and he, he busted out of there. I cow called a couple of times and he ran toward private and then kind of circled back around um, a little bit closer to me. And I watched him crash. Like he, he crashed within probably eight seconds max is from the time I hit him to when he crashed. And, where he fell was probably only 60 to 80 yards from me. Cause he kind of made a loop farther away and then kind of cut back and crashed. Um, so it was just, yeah, man, it was chaotic. There were so many things that morning that I should not have gotten away with. And it just all fell my way. Dude. Chaos. I love it. Uh, I love it when a plan comes together. Like you say that you're like, yeah, in retrospect, but like that is kind of the difference between you know, getting a bunch of at-bats. I talk about this all the time. Like you got to get a bunch of at-bats. You got to screw up a whole bunch of times to figure out what you can get away with. But like, to me, all of this is like such a classic, like you got to just make it happen sometimes. And you know, like you got to, I don't want to say force the shot, but you got to get to like that running to the top of the hill. Like you just, you've screwed this up enough to know that like, this is about to go sideways and I got to be there. Uh, And like, if I blow it out, I blow it out. Like it's just what it is. But if I, you know, too many people are so cautious and I think they put elk on a pedestal to the point where it's like, you know, they think they got to like, they got to call them in and it's going to be a 30 yard broadside shot. And it's like that, I, I don't think it's ever even happened to me, but like, it's so rare, you know, like this is more the scenario that happens to people. It's like, dude, I ran at the top of the hill. This bull chuckles. I can look down and like, I can just see ribs through a tiny gap and I got one second to make the decision i pull back and shoot because like like you said you know gosh i can't believe you stood there that long but like he could have just walked three more feet and no more shot you know like you gotta really yeah sometimes you gotta make it happen yeah no for sure and i think for me like when i was struggling so much in my early years of archery elk hunting man i look back to situations i should have so many more elk with a bow where it's like i set up behind a tree or I didn't draw because he was looking my direction. And finally I got to the point where it's like, like I'm not trying to be reckless, but also if I don't draw my bow, I can't shoot that out. So I'd rather draw and have him bust me 
be like, ah, oh, damn, at least I, you know, I, I did what I could. Like, I'm not trying to be, you know, careless, but at the same time, like you got to draw your bow. And if he's yeah. looking at you and you think now's your, your time, like, you know, draw your bow, like, what do you, you're going to screw it up or you're not going to get a shot. And that's, that's kind of what, you know, and I, it wasn't like a full drawn out thought. Like I didn't fully think through the situation of I should run to the top of the hill. Just something inside of me was screaming, like, get up there now. Cause like, it's going to blow up. (laughs) So like, you gotta be there when it does to to have an opportunity. And who knows, they might've, you know, settled down. It was calves. It wasn't like it was a herd bull that I spooked or whatever, or the lead cow. They might've settled back down and I could have crept up there and waited for him to be 35 yards broadside. But I don't think so. Um, so yeah, man, it was it was pretty cool. And the coolest part was just uh getting away with so much and having it all come together on the last day. Like it was such an adrenaline dump, dude. Right after I I was just like sitting there shaking. Um and it was super cool because the other herd didn't really move. And so that other herd bull kept just screaming at like 80 yards for like 15 minutes. And just like sitting there, like I I saw my elk crash so there's nothing in the back of my mind saying like man did i hit him where i think i did or like i think i smoked him where it's like yeah i smoked him and then two seconds later later you're like did i um like i saw him he was dead he was down at one point another small six point ran up and um i actually got a cool clip on my cell phone video where another small six point ran up and stopped like right below my dead bull and was just standing there looking around like wondering what was going on then he slowly walked off and just like sitting there with a bunch of elk still bugling and stuff. And it's, uh, yeah, man, it was, it was super cool. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, years and years ago, I've probably told the story before, but years ago I, I was stalking or hunting this big herd bull and last day kind of similar. And you know, these five points step out and they're like, I shoot this five point long story short, you know, like I ended up having to put two different arrows in this bull. He's like bed down and he got back up anyway, like this, the next area or he runs and like crashes and like, he's like, you know, doing the thing. And just that crashing, that big herd bull came back out, like as I'm walking up to him and this herd bull that I've been chasing for days, like walks out and just lets an absolute, you know, lip ball right at this raghorn that's on the ground. And he's like, I mean, 55 yards from me, broadside in the tender and then turns around and goes back. I was like, of course that's what would happen. <laughs> yeah, man. That's uh yeah, that's crazy. If if I was with my dad or somebody, I'd pretty confident we could have doubled up. Cause that other bull, I mean, he was a nice bull. He was just young. Um, he stood there and it was probably 50, but he stood there for the longest time in the wide open. And I mean, even at this time, at this point, and again, like I am super stoked and blessed and fortunate to be able to like have harvest some really nice elk, and this one being my biggest by quite a bit. Even then, like I saw him laying there and like, obviously I threw up the binos. I'm like, man, that's a great bull. Like I didn't really care. Um, I was pretty confident. It wasn't the mega giant that I'd seen. Uh, But I was like, sweet. Like I got it done last day. Like that's a great bull until I walked up to him. I like, I still didn't fully know. I was like, oh, it's probably like, it's like at least a 300 type bull. Like, man, that's a nice bull last day. I'm so stoked. And when I walked up on him, I was like, oh man like he he is so much bigger than he looked laying there because like there were some trees and stuff so i couldn't see him super well i could just see that he was was dead um so it was it was a pleasant surprise walking up on him for sure it's always a it's a plus when it's not ground shrinkage just like ground you know growth or whatever you're like well it's way bigger than i thought (laughs) yeah yeah no kidding but I mean, to, to that point of somebody being with me and doubling, I really do. So there's a few things that 
I kind of evaluated after this year. It's like, okay, I've had some success with some nice bowls. Like, what am I doing that is working so, like, I can replicate this and, like, continue to do it or improve? And, like, I kind of came up with three things um, that really have stood out out to me that I think really helped me is, like, hunting solo. I I love hunting with people. Like, I really love sharing camp with people. But in this country in particular, I think for me personally, hunting solo is like a really big advantage. Um, when I'm with somebody, like when we're like, like actually actively hunting together, I'm constantly wondering like, man, does Cody want me to call right now? What would, like, what does Cody want to do? Like, yeah. it doesn't really fully give me the opportunity to like, just make a quick whim decision and run to the top of the hill. Like if I was with somebody and we were both trying to to sneak up there, like I probably wouldn't, I would have thought twice about that decision, but like, what if I blow them all out? And then my then dad's sitting like there, the, like, yeah, and he doesn't get a shot, like the, then I'm yeah. an idiot. Yeah. So like in, in different country, like if you're hunting the, the timber, like having a collar and a shooter is obviously nice. Um, but for this country in particular, I think hunting solo for me really aids in my success because I can just, I don't even really think about things. Like I just do what feels right. And I'm not ever wondering like, does he want me to not do this or like whatever? So that's one of them. Uh, and then again, like a, a constant theme is being more aggressive than what I'm comfortable with, like getting away. And we just talked about that. Right. But getting away with more than what I feel like I should. So almost every time with the bigger bulls that I've killed, it's like, man, that shouldn't have worked. I shouldn't have been able to get that last 10 yards or I shouldn't have been able to get away with running to the top of a hill when there's a herd on the other side. Um, and then the third thing is like, I have never once called to any of the bigger, big bulls that I've shot. Um, I, I always am ready to like, in case I need to like stop one, or if you're in a situation where you're like, man, I've laid all my cards out. Like there's nothing else I can do. I'm going to try to call this bull in. And with that being said, like I have called in bulls in more open country. Um, it just doesn't seem to work most of the time. The second that I make a peep. It's like they're, it's not like the woods where they come in screaming and they're like, where's the cow? Like they'll peek around a corner and be like, no, there's no cow over there. I can see 300 yards. Um, so that's the third thing that I've, I've just noticed over the last couple of years. It's like, I haven't made a peep. I'd be curious. Okay. Before, before I want to circle back to what you just said, but like, do you ever locate bugle like in the dark or anything like that? Or is it yeah, just listening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. So I do. Yeah. I do locate bugle, especially in the dark. Um, and once in a while, but not near as much as I like in the, the timber, like Western Montana, I'll walk around all day and bugle. Like, because right. if I, if I, that's the thing over here, it's like, if they're not talking and if they don't respond, my odds of getting on them are like slim to none. You know, bumping into an elk in the timber in the mountains is, is just not like for me, anyways. It's not high, high odds of success. So, like all in the mountains, I'll, I'll bugle all day long to try to get a response over there. It's like in the morning, in the dark, I'll locate bugle, but I'm probably locate bugle, bugling like under five times the whole day. If that, like sometimes only once or twice. And I will sit and listen for like 15 to 20 minutes before I will bugle, because if they bugle first, then I won't, you know, then I don't have to. Right. Um, but that's the only time. And with that being said, I always have a diaphragm in my mouth. Like when I shot that bull, I had a, a diaphragm in my mouth in case I needed to, you know, make a, a quick calf sound to stop him or something. But 
uh, I just really think in that country, if you're like silent and if they don't know you're there, your odds of success are, are better. And that's just what works for me. I'm sure guys over there calling bulls constantly and kill big bulls. But uh, for me, it's worked to not do it. So I'm a little bit hesitant to start calling. There's, there's two things on that. First, um, I a thousand percent, and I've said this for years, like this is the reason I solo hunt. It's not you, it's me. Um, and it's classic, like I'm going to do things. I'm going to be way more aggressive. I'm going to be the level of aggressive I need to be. And I'm going to screw that up. I think if you're not screwing some stuff up by being too aggressive, you're not being aggressive enough. And I don't want to have to do that. Even with you, like say you and I were out together. I know, you know how to be aggressive. I still don't want to screw this up. You know, like, I don't want to screw it. And you'd be like, man, that was a little hot, you know? And so like, for me, it's just like, it's easier to just screw it up for myself to be a one man game. Um, like you said, like you just make some different decisions. And I think that's really tough to be aggressive, the aggressive as you need to be when you're trying to do that. The other thing is like, I, I do think that there's some, a piece of it that's like, generally when I'm hunting with people, they want they're willing to kill like any six point or something like that. And if, if it's a person who's kind of after a herd bull too, like generally speaking, they're going to be doing their own thing. So I've just found that like, I don't really want someone, I love going with people and I love killing elk, but at the same time, for the same reason I don't call, I try to avoid all the satellite bulls. And I've just found that like calling creates more problems than answers. Like, again, there's, there's times for it, but like, if I'm calling so many times, I get these like satellite bulls that are coming in and they, they create more problems than, than I need. And so it's like, I, the last thing I want to do is like some random six point comes from over a hill. I didn't even know was there. And he's like, right there, you know, um, class examples on a giant a couple of years ago. And it was like one of those scenarios where I kind of had to call, like I had tried to stock, uh, and bull ends up like 50 yards from where I was like by my pack. And so like, I'm working my way back up and like, I just can't cut that distance. And like, so I'm like trying to call him just all I needed to like call him over this hill. And in trying to do so, I called in two other six points that got to like 20 yards and I'm like trying to just be the bush. And it's like, now I can't say anything. Now I can't even move. And it's like, I have these six points that are like, just literally staring at this bush. Like, sounds like there's an elk in the bush, you know? And it's like, gosh, now I can't do anything. Uh, and so like, it just creates more problems. The, the scenario this year, you know, I, like you said, like, it's definitely a tool that I use, um, you know, my bull that I ended up killing, I just saw, I saw his horns going through a gap and I had to make an instant decision. Like that's the gap I need to shoot him in. I still got a cover. So like I, I cow called super hard a couple times just to stop him in that gap. And then I, I closed the deal. So like it was, it was, a, it was a call to stop, not a call to come. Um, but yeah, the same, same thing. Like I try, I try not to, I like being in camp with people, I come with people, but at the end of the day, like you, in order for me to be aggressive and take risks, I, I like to be by myself. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, most of those things weren't even intentional for me the last couple of years. It's just like, again, after, after the season, I kind of thought about it. I'm like what, okay, what is work? Like what is working and how do I do more of that? And that's kind right. of what I came to the conclusion. Like, it's not like, you know, a few years ago, I'm like, okay, I'm only hunting by myself so I can be successful. Right. It was just like, I started to have some success and then it happened to be mostly when I was solo. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I love hunting with people. I love calling in bulls for, for people the few times that I've done it and, and whatever. But I think ideally for me, it'd be like sharing camp and then going out separate hunting throughout the day and then coming back and, and then having that camaraderie and stuff. Cause like, it was super cool to, when I shot that bull, I, I found some service and 
sent uh, my dad and my uncle a waypoint. Like they were able to walk right to me as I was sitting there. And, uh, you know, sharing those moments and stuff is is also super cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's kind of sucks when you're like, you kill a bull, you look around, you're like, I'm by myself. <laughs> Not as good. <cool. laughs> yeah. But uh, I, one question I have is, uh, you know, I think the hardest part about open country, you know, it's uh, if you hunt elk like mule deer, the spot and stock thing is pretty self-explanatory. Like you just kind of got to do it. The hardest part is finding elk. Like, did you struggle finding elk or is it like, did you kind of figure that out earlier? Like, you know, what have you done? Well, like going back to this, like what, what has worked? Like, how do you find elk in that country? Yeah. I mean, I still have a lot to improve there. Cause when you're not finding elk, it's like, you just want to bang your head against a rock and you're like, I, I can see so far, like, how can I not find elk in this country? Um, this year I struggled again for like three days, three to four days, like mid hunt. So the very first evening I was there, I spotted a lone bull, um, just saw him for, he looked by himself, but maybe he was, and I saw him for a few seconds and it was almost dark and I kept hunting that same, same country and never turned him back up. Um, in the past, I have always been like, if I can't find elk, I'm just going to hike until I can find him. Right. Like you can cover some miles in that type of country it's not like you're gaining 2000 vertical feet in a climb. You're, you're, you know, going up ridges, down ridges, canyons, coolies. Um, I don't really think that's that effective. Like when you're down. <laughs> I was saying that. Stuff, I was like, going to say. Like, like, I, cause I did that for, for a couple of years in that country. And like, I would put on 10 miles a day at least and be like, yeah, I, I bumped a couple elk. You know, it's like when you, when you're like rifle milled, you're hunting and you come over a, arise and a buck gets up and you get ready for shots like well i have a bow and that's an elk so like this doesn't work it, it's not the same so i don't know i tried that for quite a while and uh without much success at all and so kind of what i what i figured out is like marking waypoints for good glassing locations where you can cover like okay from here i can glass all of this drainage and part of that drainage and then if i hike 300 yards farther i can glass like to the north and hit that drainage and you know i know we've talked in the past about setting up scenarios like that for for uh covering country with your optics for mule deer and i kind of do the same for elk and it's it's a lot different but it's similar in ways of where can i hike and put this like string of hike together where i'm staying high and i'm going from like glassing point to glassing point and i'm spending like a pretty good amount of time at each one of those or the five glassing points on this ridge system and and turning them up that way the the problem where it gets difficult is like midday and that's where you know it's tough because you go and you don't find any elk before you know they're bedded you can once in a while glass up bedded elk in that country and like i'll still try to do that but a lot of times midday like you're just kind of sitting there with not much to show or not much to do so um I've kind of came to the conclusion like hiking and putting in more miles isn't necessarily going to equate to more elk. And so sitting up high glassing and being patient until you see or hear them. And really the biggest thing for me is like listening at dark, like listen for an hour after it's dark from a high point. So you can hear farther and then showing up and getting to that glassing point, like not five minutes before you can see and setting up your tripod and like getting ready to glass but getting there in like an hour to an hour and a half or even more in the dark and then just sitting there and listening. And that's how I found most elk is just sitting in the dark and listening. You know, you might hear them and then you can't do anything about it for an hour, but you could at least get closer 
to put yourself in a situation for when it does get light, you're like already kind of in the game. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I think I used to do the same thing of like, you, you just want to cover ground. You're like, I'm going to outwork everyone. And it does not work, you know, like, and I think I noticed this, this year um, I went, so I got there, got, you know, over East, I forget it was fifth, sixth, somewhere in there. So I, I think that's right. Anyway, long story short is I couldn't find elk for a couple of days. I was like, okay, I got to find some elk. And uh, two things on that there, I, I was basically sacrificing the evening hunt and like, I was just trying to stay somewhere I could see as much as I possibly could or like, and then like, and not hiking in anywhere. It'd be like, I'm going to glass, glass, glass. And then I want to jump in the pickup and run over here and like staying so mo- like mobile in that way. Cause I think before I would just like, Oh yeah, I'm going to cover all this ground. And then like, you just don't see anything when you're hiking. So it's like the making sure I'm like on the best spots, which, which is funny. Cause like, the one spot I ended up spotting, I, I spotted some cows and ended up shooting a bull there. So like, I knew there was out there. Um, it was like right next to a main road and, you know, I'd watch all these like busy bees. Like I, I there was a lot of people in this area. There were like, it was more than I usually see, but it was like five o'clock. I'd see people like, you know, screwing around in their pickups and then I like, go to their spots and then I'm hiking into, you know, the canyons or whatever. And I was like, just basically staying on the main line and like, okay, like glassing, glassing. And that's how I ended up finding these cows. Ironically, I did find the first cow at like 10 30 AM one time I was like stopped. And I was like, I'm going to glass, you know, again, and just happened to see a spike standing up. And then I moved around and got to where I could see cows in there. And that's how I figured out that there's elk were where they were. Um, but it, to your point, it's like, I just focusing on being able to glass the other thing was like taking a, you know, I, I think some of my success over East is ironically from Roosevelt hunting. And you'll know this from hanging out with the born and raised guys, like, you know, bugling at night, like, that's how you find elk in, in that thick Roosevelt country. And so the same thing, like, yeah, I'll start two hours before daylight. And if I'm trying to get to this glassing point, like I can, I can, you know, work this whole ridge and bugle and like hear elk in there or whatever. Similarly, like driving around and just bugling like from the truck or whatever. And like, Mm I, found a good bull this year that way just like just heard a faint bugle and was like oh, i'll go in there and sure enough there's elk in there so like just being able to cover a bunch of ground that's the thing i definitely learned is like these elk are super nomadic you got to be able to cover a ton of ground i just don't think it's realistic to do all of that on your feet like you just couldn't hike enough miles yeah yeah and it's it's not as effective and it's easy to be like like you said oh, i'm gonna outwork people and i'm gonna put in 15 plus miles like it's not effective so quit doing it (laughs) Uh, it, yeah and it's uh it's one of those things too you also kind of hit the nail on the head where it's like you sacrificed a couple evening hunts like i did that this year even playing that uh private public i knew they were on private but like one evening instead of being in there and it it really it it hurt to do this because it's like i know i there's zero percent chance i can kill an elf this evening zero But I drove as far, like as much as I could and glassed even from a, a public road into those private to see where they were at in the private. And like, okay, based on where they're at, where they're coming to feed, is it possible that they're going to bump over to that public to bed tomorrow? Um, and so like I was glassing elk from a public road that were on private like one evening instead of hunting and it felt wrong, right? Like you're only, you're like, I have six days total Right. to get this done and i'm wasting one of these hunts like glassing looking for elk that i can't even hunt where they're at mm-hmm. um 
But it was like that evening, I remember I found a herd that went out to go feed on private. And I was like, man, they're like a quarter mile from from that public and where where I know they like to bed. So the next morning I went in there, they didn't show, but like, at least I had a good understanding of, okay, here's what they did yesterday. Like there's a chance they could bump over to public. So once in a while, like taking a step back and looking at it from even the roads, which again, seems, seems wrong to do. Um, you know, it can, it can give you a lot better starting point for when you're actually hunting the next day though. And I think it's a good to have like a, a bigger picture, um, a macro view, macro view of what's going on. Uh, a couple of years ago, I found these elk and, you know, one morning I'm like, got on them. And of course like they, they kind of gave me the slip and I couldn't figure out where they went, you know? And so I did this like three or four days, I think it was three days in a row. It was like, man, but they take a different route every time. And, and then like, once they, uh, you know, I was thinking they were only going, you know, a half mile, maybe a mile. I think in reality, they were probably going five or 10 miles, you know? And so like trying to play this, like cut them off game. Oh, and they're going 10 miles is like, it's laughable, but when you get back and you're like, okay, I'm going to skip the morning hunt. I want to see what the hell these elk do. And like, Oh, get back a ways. And like as far back as you can and see like, okay, Oh man, they're going like, they're going a long ways. And then I lose them up in there. And it gives you like a bigger macro view of like what these elk are doing. And I think people like forget that you can do that on private too. Like, even if these elk are using private, it's like, I see, I, you know, people think that elk are just completely off limits if they're on private, but a lot of these elk are so nomadic that like they're just using it at night. And then they're going, yeah, I've seen elk that go miles across public on a different private, you know, they just go so far. Yeah. And I think our, our smart little human feet brains are like, yeah, they go from feed to like a mile over here in bed. You're like, no, 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 no. That's not even close. Like they're going across, you know, two other privates across that public and back over there. You know, it's like, it's crazy how mm-hmm. far they can go. Yeah. Or why, if you ever figure that one out, let me know. Cause it's yeah. like, here, <laughs> I, I see them hiking through great, great bedding ground on private, even where nobody's going to mess with them and they just keep going. And it's like, <laughs> why what are you doing where are you going why are you doing this yeah 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 that that'll baffle me forever or like you're like oh there's a water hole and it's on the way from their their food to their bed we'll never touch it and you're like you have no idea why <laughs> and then they'll yeah. stand up in the afternoon and go three miles over here to this water and then come back and you're like man this is makes no sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, for sure well, cool, man. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping on, sharing your story. Awesome bull. That, that thing's a stud. Uh, congrats. Sounds like you got it figured out, but you know, maybe, maybe, uh, get lucky and get killed that big one next year. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks, man. Always, always good to catch up and, uh, swap some hunting stories with you. So I appreciate, uh, appreciate having me on again. Absolutely. Uh, anything new coming out from Onyx? Um, so actually here real recently, we're going to launch uh, the revamped version of the draw odd system that you're familiar with. So uh, Hunt Research Tools is is the name of it, and it's going to be draw odd focus, but uh, have a little bit more cool information tied into it. And so for all elite members, like if you're an elite member, it's no additional cost. You now have full access to this tool. Um, it's going to be coming out here in a few weeks and actually... You specifically, I'll get it in your hands next week so you can start testing it out and nice. let me know what you think about it. But uh, just in time for application season, lots of cool like in in the app features and stuff we're working on. Um, but timeliness, that's the one that I'm super excited about. Application season is 
right around the corner and it's uh, harder and harder to get tags as we all know. So hopefully this tool will help give some folks the edge. So is this going to replace Topra? Is Topra changing or what's the yeah. status there? Yeah. So, so it'll replace Topra. Uh, Topra, we're going to, we're going to leave live for, for a little while for the folks that like to use that, but essentially it's the same data uh, just with a little bit easier way to navigate it and go through it. And um, yeah, just different ways of looking at, at the data. So it's a re redesigned version of, of the top for draw system as you know it. Ah, cool, cool, cool. Oh man, I'm excited. I'm excited to play with it. Well, um, yeah, we'll have to uh, check that out when this comes out. Um, yeah, but appreciate it, man. Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, thanks, Cody. Alrighty, guys. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and share it with one of your hunting buddies. Also, if you want a free hunt planner, be sure to go check the link in the show notes. It's 100% free. You can download our hunt planning tool, which is a great resource for kind of keeping track of all of your hunts, your hunt plans, your points, all those things. Pretty great resource. Go check it out. Links in the show notes, or you can check our website, www.elkhunt201.com. <laughs>